Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's back to business this morning for Parliament and the 650 MPs who we pay to figure out how to run the country. Some of them, though, are up in arms about having to go back to work. Some of them are raring to go and some of them are still making excuses as to why they can't be there. The bottom line, surely, is if you can't lead by example from the Palace of Westminster while encouraging the nation to get back to work, then you have no business being there. Today, MPs will vote on how they should vote in the future in order to safeguard the social distancing rules. That's later on. First up, it's Matt Hancock with health questions and Dominic Raab on Hong Kong. And we will bring you all of that in the company of Charlotte Ivers, our political correspondent. No doubt the brilliant lawyer, Keir Starmer, will figure in there somewhere. But don't get too excited. Uh, I'm not holding my breath for any great pronunciations for the leader of the opposition. 0344-499-1000. Coming up, we'll be talking with Dr. Rakeem Bassan on the rise of Antifa in the UK and why he agrees with me that the radical left must not be allowed to wrestle the agenda away and march through the streets of this country causing trouble just because of a terrible incident in the US of A concerning one uh, Mr George Floyd. Plus, we'll be talking travel, quarantine and hotels with the independent Simon Calder. First up, though, we'll be talking to Stuart Jackson, former Conservative MP and former Special Advisor to David Davis. He'll be telling us what he's made uh, of the last few days of government uh, and the announcements that were made yesterday uh, of the lockdown being eased to quite a large extent. Lots of people back to work. Lots of kids back to school. Uh, we want to hear from you as well. 0344 499 1000. You are, of course, the eyes and ears of the Independent Republic. What are you seeing this week? How much has everything changed since the lockdown was eased yesterday? And what are you actually up to? What are you doing? Uh, where are you going? Uh, and, of course, are you back at work? 0344 499 1000. We'll be homeschooling as usual at 12.30. And we'll be bringing you a selection of the greatest walks in Britain that you can now do without worrying about being arrested. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, it's a bit of a mixed bag this morning on the front pages of the papers. Quarantine plan under review as MPs revolt. Now, I told you some days ago uh, that I didn't think this quarantine thing was going to stick because at the end of the day, the travel business is not going to survive. The tourism business is not going to survive. Uh, and nobody's going to come to this country to visit if, in fact, quarantine is in place. And as I explained to you last week, the number of exceptions which are to the rule of quarantine, as uh, so, so so many people can come into this country without actually going to quarantine. What the bottom line then is for me is that it's not actually a safeguarding quarantine. Critics round on number 10 over ridiculous quarantine uh, and also talk of something else that I've been going on about for a while. Cutting back to one metre uh, is the argument of the day. Some people saying it's absolutely necessary in order to make money if you're running a pub or a restaurant. The Guardian predictably of course says cutting back to one metre doubles the infection risk. Uh, but they're quoting somebody here uh, who is not entirely certain about whether they know that that's true because in most parts of the world one meter is apparently sufficient it's very very rare for any other country to use two meters and two meters quite frankly means that you can't open a pub you can't really operate in a restaurant and you can't really open a school properly can you let's talk to Stuart Jackson to find out what he makes of it all Stuart very good morning to you Good morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I would say on balance, um, it's been a pretty good week for the government, hasn't it, so far? Well, everything's relative. Compared to last week, it's <laughs> been a fantastic week. Yeah. Because last week was a 
pretty terrible week. Uh, although I am glad Mrs. Jackson is very pleased to know that you're not allowed under the regulations to have sex with uh, a stranger in your own house. <laughs> yes, so, well, I imagine there are plenty know, of married people who think that that's actually a very a very uh, familiar-sounding phrase. But, I mean, it is a bit of a mad one to come out with. Given everything else that's going on, you know, why on earth would you actually make that a law? Well, it's, it's a bit weird, but to be honest, what irks me sometimes is the idea that you have to be told every yes. single aspect of your life by the government, by regulation, by law, uh, before you do anything. You know, what happened to the sort of entrepreneurial can-do spirit of mm. this country? And I, yeah. I just think people have got to use their common sense. And we are beginning to see that now with the opening of, you know, garden centres and, and, and non-essential uh, retail outlets, you know, beaches and parks and all the rest of it. We're getting back to normal. I mean, it was always going to happen when we saw the raw figures of infections and deaths dropping precipitously, as they have done in the last few weeks. People would say, look, on the balance of risk, I'm very unlikely to get this if I'm, say, under 50, normally healthy, and I'm not going to actually touch people uh my job doesn't involve touching people the, the chances of me getting covid19 are very limited yeah and, and therefore i think people are being very sensible yes i think people are and i think as of as we know yesterday was the day that everything was sort of you know though you were given permission technically to have uh barbecues and all that but that all kind of happened on the weekend i mean i went down to see my kids on saturday and the roads were mega busy uh, as if uh, there was no lockdown whatsoever there were traffic jams in all the same places that were there were normally traffic jams uh, we saw the beaches of dorset the beaches of sussex uh, up places up in the north of england as well absolutely rammed with people i mean i suppose given that the weather is going to turn apparently tomorrow uh, perhaps this weekend won't be so bad but there's definitely a feeling for me out there uh, that people see this as be very much becoming to an end yes and if you look at the figures i think i'm right in saying that something like half of hospital trusts have recorded no covid deaths in the last seven days and that's covering millions mm. and millions of people yeah. now obviously people can read the figures and they're making that uh, deduction themselves and and they're thinking look I've got to get back to work I've got to get shopping I've got to do all the things visiting relatives and you know my own view is that there's a chance that this um, will that this um, disease will effectively organically die out by the autumn there may be a winter spike but no one really knows and right. that's what no one really knows about the one or two meter rule it's guesswork really and it does depend on what perspective you've got whether you want to bash the government or support the government mm. that's the thing is we've got the daily mail this morning saying one meter is enough uh, and we've got the guardian saying one meter is dangerous so once again we've got this ridiculous kind of dichotomy which people i think are getting a bit fed up with where you can find one scientist that will tell you one thing and another scientist that will tell you another thing and then you've got the sort of the politicians on the outside saying well actually we're following the science well which science are you following you know well, that's precisely the point, and that goes right back to the projections from Imperial College in January, February, about the likely number of deaths and the contrary position taken by Oxford University and various other scientists in the middle. Right. You've got Professor Carol Sakura, who's been very positive about the chances of eliminating COVID-19, and mm. you've got other scientists on stage saying, you know, you've gone too far too quickly with ending the lockdown. I mean, going back to the um, the quarantine issue, I, I actually agree with you, Mike. I, I think it looks, subject to Pretty Patel's uh, regulations being published this afternoon, it looks desperately impractical if you're giving lots of people caveats, for instance, to be able to uh, arrive at the airport and travel on public transport, mm. which seems crazy, and also quarantining multiple properties. Yeah. Well, if you're quarantining in multiple properties, you're moving between those properties. So in what sense is it a definitive quarantine? Right. But also, it's not a definitive quarantine, given all of the various exceptions that, that there are to the quarantine being brought in. For example, if you're a lorry driver, you don't get quarantined. If you're bringing in, um, you know, some form of medical supplies, you're not quarantined. If you work for Eurotunnel, you're not qualified. You're not, not quarantined. If you work for Eurostar, you're not quarantined. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on, uh, even down to people who work for the BBC, believe it or not, uh, which I think is engineering rather than actual journalism. But, you know, there's a whole list, as long as your arm, of people who will come to the country who could be 
bringing uh, COVID-19 in uh, who will not be stopped, including seasonal fruit pickers. So, you know, you could bring in boatloads of people who will not be quarantined. So what is the point of doing it to the rest of us? And I think, as I've said many times before, an awful lot of the government's uh, policies are about persuading people not to do something, i.e. they're going to say there's a quarantine in place so you don't actually go rushing off to go on holiday. Yeah, you're right. But the the fact of the matter is, what will be the effect of... You'll get the worst of both worlds. You won't definitively reduce to zero the risk of COVID coming into the UK from people coming back from the continent. But at the same time, you will potentially pretty much destroy the capacity of the tourism industry to make any money. Right. And and that will be a disaster. So, you know, you don't want the worst of both worlds. You, you either have to have a Chinese-style super quarantine where mm. you, you lock people up. Well, basically nobody say, goes anywhere. Yeah. Or you say, look, we can't practically do this. We, we just got to make sure that, you know, people are sensible. Actually, you know, I, I don't know why... It's not possible in mass transit locations like airports and railway stations for people to have, for instance, uh, an infrared um, gun to check people's fever or other testing, you know, breath testing, that kind of thing. Well, why is it not possible for that to happen? Um, You know, in order to get mass transit, football matches, clubs, pubs back into a viable state. You know, I think we need to really think forward on this yes rather than a draconian quarantine which probably won't work well exactly i I actually agree with an air bridge i think an air bridge to certain countries um where where you where you have proper structures in place to say greece or cyprus or or portugal Although, of course, the Greeks, unfortunately, have said that they're not that keen on getting anybody to come from Britain because we've got too high of a rate of infection. And the Spanish, I think, have put us down the list as well. Yeah, that is that is a technical glitch. That might change. They might review that because if by the end of June now, uh, our infection level and, and fatality level is dropping massively, as I think it will be, uh, then, then they might review that because obviously they're losing a huge amount of trade. Uh, in countries like Portugal, mm. Greece, Cyprus, you know, they do depend hugely on, on the British tourism industry. Yeah. No, absolutely, they do. And let's talk a bit about what's happening today in Parliament, because, of course, Parliament returns. There was a bit of sort of uh, toing and froing from Jacob Rees-Mogg just before uh, the recess, because people weren't sure whether uh, it was going to come back to a virtual Parliament. It turns out that there will now be no virtual Parliament. Some MPs are kicking off. Uh, I saw one particular Lib Dem from Scotland this morning saying, oh, I've got to care for my uh, vulnerable wife. You know, I'm a carer. I have to look after her. I can't come back to work. You're making me choose between work and family well i'm sorry you know yes it's a different situation now that there's covid19 going on but if you aren't able to fulfill your job in your place of work i would suggest that you don't do that job and you give it to somebody else who can well it is a unique position being a member of parliament there's only 650 of them out of 66 million people and you've got to remember there's always been a strain of a group of mps that have always wanted quote, modernisation, unquote. They've always wanted this idea that you could basically be a parliamentarian by just pressing buttons. Yeah. And they don't. They either don't fit in or they don't like parliament. They think it's old-fashioned and backward-looking. And maybe in some respects it is. But I do agree that it's better, even in these circumstances, to be in parliament representing your constituents yeah. physically. Because the other thing is, you know, if you are saying to public sector workers, particularly teachers and frontline people like police, ambulance drivers, you know, you've got to get back to work, you've got to get back to normal, the economy needs to get rebooted. You can't then say, but actually I'm going to stay in my constituency, in my home, and not go into my place of work. Now, to be fair, MPs do have two places of work. One is in their constituency, one is in Parliament, but they're not just glorified councillors, they are legislators. Yes, and, and they're paid the very handsomely. I mean, you were, you were a Conservative MP yourself. You were a former special advisor to David Davis. It's a very privileged job, and it's a very privileged position uh, for which you are compensated reasonably well. And I don't think it's good enough to say, well, I'm sorry, at the moment I can't go to work because I've got other things going on in my private life. That's uh, tough, I'm afraid. And I have every sympathy for somebody who needs to stay at home and care for somebody. But that's not then applicable to being an MP. 
I think there is a, a middle way, Mike, if I may say, because my, my good friend Robert Halfen in Harlow, you know, he's a disabled guy. Mm. He's overcome huge barriers of his disability to be elected several times in Harlow uh, to, to serve as a minister, to serve as, uh, as chairman of the Education Select Committee. He is self-isolating because of his physical uh, disability, as I understand. And he's making the point that He's prevented because he's shielded him from coming into Parliament. I think there is a way that, that there are a small group of members of Parliament who have disability or illness. And for the temporary period, I think there has to be a way that perhaps they can take part so we can have partial virtual Parliament for those particular yeah. individuals. Yeah, of course. I mean, nobody wants, to be, nobody wants to discriminate against anyone. But, but, yeah. but, but on the other hand, and by the same token, we absolutely must tell people that it's not good enough just to go, well, listen, I don't really fancy going back to work, uh, so I'm just going to work from home. And if you don't let me work from home, then I'm going to sue you. You're absolutely right. And the fact is, you know, people are queuing around the block to be MPs. Sometimes I think, goodness knows why, because <laughs> some of the stick you get. Uh, and you're right, they're well paid, £82,000. Yeah. is probably the thick end of three times the annual uh, average salary. Um, and, it, and it's a wonderful honour and privilege to be a member of Parliament. But, you know, they've had a period where they've been on recess for most of the period since the 23rd of March. I do think they need to get back. They need to scrutinise government. They yeah. need to ask tough questions. They need to deal with big issues like China and Hong Kong and Huawei uh, and, and, the, and the virus. And my general view is, you know, you've got to take a lead as leaders of your community and get back to work in Parliament. Yeah, absolutely right. And as far as um, what is likely to happen today, I mean, Hong Kong, obviously a big story. We're going to hear from Dominic Raab on that front. You know, there seems to be a bit of a sort of head of steam building up against China right now, not just because of what happened with COVID-19, but because of what they're now doing in Hong Kong. Yeah, and one of the side effects and long-term impacts of this virus is a completely different look, a review of our relationship uh, and, and a review, basically, of uh, our reliance on China, our over-reliance, which began many years ago, uh, certainly was consolidated under Cameron and Osborne, where we believed that if we traded and we brought liberal trading uh, practices to China, that they would democratise. It hasn't happened. There's some threatening noises about changing the, the, the relationship between the Chinese state and Hong Kong, and there's problems with Taiwan and the South China Sea. I think we need a coordinated response. And the China Research Group, which is this conservative ginger group that started recently, mm. is absolutely right in holding China to account for their human rights abuses uh, and for COVID-19 and some of the other bigger issues. But in the end, you know, society will change. We will build fewer factories in China. We will have shorter mm. supply chains. And we will, I think, hold uh, the Chinese Communist Party very much to account for their record. Yes, I think that's absolutely necessary. Stuart, great to talk to you. Thanks very much indeed. Stuart Jackson, former Conservative MP, former Special Advisor to David Davis, knows all about uh, what it's like to be an MP working from Parliament. And I'm sorry if some people are uh, thinking that I'm being a little harsh on, on, on the people who are not going back to work. But, you know, unless you've got an absolutely very, very brilliant reason as to why you cannot, because don't forget, this might go on for a long time. And if you cannot represent your constituents in Parliament, and I mean in London, in Westminster, in the House of Commons, then I don't think you've got any business being an MP. Now, it might be that you've got circumstances which make it difficult for you to do that, in which case, I think you have to reevaluate the job that you do. And if you can't do the job that you do properly, then I think you have to search for another job. It's as simple as that, really, because these are the people who are telling us we have to go back to work. Now, you might have a different argument. You might say to me, well, I don't want to go back to work either. I don't want to be travelling on the underground. I don't want to be travelling uh, on a train into London or into Manchester or into Leeds. I want to stay where I am working from home, which is what I've been doing for the best part of the last eight weeks. And that's what I'd prefer to do. I think that's a dangerous position to take. Because I think in order for the economy to get going, we need to get back to normal as soon as possible. And that means going back to work as soon as possible. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Let's talk to Simon Calder now, though, because he is, of course, the travel editor for The Independent. He is the travel guru of all travel gurus, uh, and he's a great friend of this show. Welcome back, Mr Simon Calder. How are you? Ah, Mike, well, I was hoping you'd be able to tell me what's happening on Planet Travel, (laughs) because I can't, frankly, at this pace, keep track of it. No, I I think I can, but um, not easy. the judge of that. It's not easy out there. certainly looks as though this quarantine thing uh, is dying a death on the vine, doesn't it? It doesn't look as if they're going to be able to bring it in for very long, if they bring it in at all. Oh, they will certainly bring it in bring it in. This is being pushed entirely by Dominic Cummings and Pretty Patel. Mm. Um, it actually stems from, um, you might remember, uh, you may possibly have heard, Mike, um, uh, Mr Cummings went for a, um, a, a trip to County Durham, that's all I'll say. Uh, but when he came back, um, it was clear after a couple of weeks that the government was looking less and less popular. And so he was after a populist and popular policy and my goodness me the idea of um, stopping people coming into the UK uh, without making them go into quarantine um, it's it's well they, that's what a lot of people want um, so he's been pushing that through along with the Home Secretary and now the Foreign Secretary mm. as well but at the same time um, the uh, travel industry has been yelling and saying help you know, we, we absolutely this is going to finish us off we've just had the worst three months in our history we were just getting back you know dusting ourselves off hoping for a decent summer and now now nobody is booking and so the deal which is going to come up is that uh, it will be enforced for three weeks up till the 29th of June then there'll be all these um, uh, pretend air bridge arrangements put in place and everybody will quietly forget about it apart from sadly all the people who've lost their jobs as a result of it. Well exactly right and the thing is though I think it's partly about trying to discourage people from you know sort of mass exiting the country and going off on holiday because people feel like that's exactly what they need at this moment in time. Um, How about this for a question which is coming from George uh, for you Simon. The important issue with foreign travel is not the quarantine scheme it's the fco advice not to travel oh. uh, therefore no insurance is there any sign of those uh, foreign commonwealth office rules relaxing uh, yes and the, uh, you, you would like to think and i would like to think and maybe it will come true that there will be a kind of joined up thing whereby uh quarantine comes into effect on the 8th of june they say we're going to review it after three weeks behind the scenes every country that any british tourist has ever been to is signing a deal um to say okay we'll 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 have a reciprocal no quarantine agreement um but yeah hovering over it is the foreign office rule which has been enforced since the 17th of march saying do not travel unless it's absolutely necessary and that of course if you go against it then you'll be breaking your uh, your travel insurance won't be valid and no mainstream tour operator is going to organize holidays while that remains in place and there's I, I every week I talk to the foreign office and I say you're going to tell you what you're going to sort of change it a bit and just maybe right. maybe have special advice for Spain and France and Portugal and Greece and so on and they say nope uh, we're not going to but I suspect sometime this week mm. and you will be the first to know because you usually are Mike it will happen um but it will come into effect it, it, it should be dovetailed with the uh, with the quarantine rule yeah. meanwhile of course anybody who doesn't fancy uh, quarantine has a whole menu of um, possible options for avoiding it. Well that's right, just don't go anywhere right? I mean the unfortunate thing as well about this air bridging scheme that's been mentioned is that the Greeks uh, and the Spanish have basically said well we don't really want any people coming from Britain because uh, uh, you've got too high of an infection rate. You say that Mike um, and quite rightly too because mm. their, their tourism ministers have been briefing their local media saying exactly that but I stress the word local, and of course, you know, quite understandably, um, uh, talk and lots of other media outlets have picked up on it. Um, but but their local media, um, for their um, population, wants to hear that. Um, uh, given that both countries are well, Greece has always been extraordinarily good at uh, coping with coronavirus, and Spain's had a terrible lockdown, but it's now emerging from. And the population in both of those countries wants to know that they're not going to be jeopardising that by getting a whole load of people from heavily infected countries round and so they said those for the benefit of the local consumption but the guidance that I'm getting from both Greece and Spain is that assuming that the UK continues on this downward trajectory with uh, 
cases of coronavirus that we will be welcomed in with open arms um, uh, from the uh, 1st of July. Well, money talks, I suppose, and coronavirus walks, as you might say. But uh, (laughs) uh, how about this question here from uh, uh, um, Lee, who says, uh, if a Canary Islands holiday due to fly on the 23rd of July can go ahead due to this bridging arrangement, but tourists don't want to go because of COVID-19 holiday with masks and distancing is just so unappealing, where would the holiday maker stand? I suppose he's asking if he can pull out of the holiday uh, with... uh, with with no damage uh, no you're not going to get a full refund if the trip is still going ahead however mm. there's several options for example if you're with TUI the biggest holiday company they are saying anybody with a booking up to and including the end of August can postpone that without penalty now it could well be that your trip to um, Tenerife or wherever in 2021 is going to be significantly more expensive than the one you've bought but that is an option um, you're also allowed under the package travel regulations to transfer it to someone else so um, he could say, uh, oh, uh, Mike and Simon, why don't you go instead? And that would be a, a, a perfectly reasonable option and maybe some money would change hands as well. Uh, but the main thing is to talk to the travel company if you have got concerns. And that there's also kind of special case for people who are maybe older travellers, people with um, pre-existing medical conditions. If they've got special insurance because of those, um, then they can go to the insurer and say, look, clearly I can't travel because of my medical condition, therefore I'd like to uh, uh, get compensated for the money I will lose. But starting place, always talk to the holiday company. Of course, that's easier said than done because many of them have very, very long queues on the phone. Yes, indeed they do. And so uh, many people have still been in touch with me to say that they're still having trouble getting refunds out of travel companies. But but what my advice is always uh, to them is just keep persevering because they are uh, legitimately supposed to give you a cash refund uh, if their flights have been cancelled by them um, uh, rather than giving you some kind of a, a voucher uh, oh scenario. yes yeah um, it, it's slightly different rules for flight only deals um, if the flight doesn't go then you're entitled to a cash refund within mm. a week of departure ha 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 good luck with that and if it's a package holiday then you're entitled to uh, all your money back in cash within two weeks of its being cancelled mm. um, that is very very difficult to uh, imagine anybody doing just this morning P&O Cruises have extended their cancellation deadline from July as it was to the middle of October and that means uh, tens of thousands of people who were booked on their ships are now entitled to all their money back or the company is saying quite reasonably look we'll give you a 25% bonus if you're prepared to um, uh, spend the money on another trip with us yes of course and again I've had a couple of people saying you know they've got a booking with somebody like Secret Escapes but the booking uh, was through um, was done through them, but then it was put through a, 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 a hotel abroad, and they've been told by Secret Escapes to reference the hotel abroad to see if you can get the money back from them. Is that legitimate? Uh, it all depends on the nature of the booking, but if yeah. it is transport and accommodation booked in the same transaction, um, generally you will get an atoll certificate if that is the case. Then, no, it's a package holiday. Where the money is, who's got it, is not your problem. It's the travel companies. Right. But if you book just a hotel, then I'm afraid it's a lot trickier there you don't have anything like the same gold-plated protection no of course and what's your sense of the flight situation with the united states i don't know if they've got um, a quarantine i ask personally because my one my mother's over there and she's not very well at the moment i'd love to go and see her but obviously it's not looking very good at the moment i think they've got quarantine in place but what's what's the story who knows um if you just call the white house um they they are the only people it's going to be donald (laughs) trump okay right who is um he's a bit uh, busy at the moment not having a great week he did actually before this awful awful business um with, with the uh, in uh, minneapolis murdered, yeah. murdered uh, uh man um he, he did actually say i've got some really good news coming about the europeans and letting them in however in the same sentence he said and it's fantastic the, the way that the dow jones is up so much on six months ago when of course it's down by i don't know 15 percent so what it, what what he says goes but what he says um is really very very unpredictable Mm. it really is it's quite difficult to know isn't it but but i mean as far as british airways and and american airlines and virgin and people like that are concerned i mean there's not much they can really say either at the moment uh they're in a a pretty tough position every travel company is in a a a dreadful position because well i mean this almost goes back to the british government we've got no clue all we know is that for reasons to do with the coronavirus rate here coming down and other countries lifting their lockdown that the government says that's the right moment to impose 
quarantine. Mm. Now, if you follow that to its logical conclusion, it's going to be in for certainly the rest of this year, probably most of next year as well. But that's extremely unlikely. But I'm dying to book a holiday. I just can't rationally do that yet right. because the government won't tell us what to do. And in the case of the US, you've got a double hurdle because um, uh, Donald Trump needs to decide as well mm. um, when he's... Uh, uh, well, everything is to do with uh, U.S. domestic politics, I fear, yes. over there, which is uh, just, just... Well, because I know, them. I mean, for example, internal flights in America are still operating. I spoke to one of our correspondents over in uh, California who said that you could fly, you have to wear a mask, uh, they're not basically serving you anything whatsoever, and you're sitting quite far away from everybody. But internal flights are actually going ahead. Oh, sure. And actually, just uh, following um, some uh, research today, mm. uh, the numbers last night, sorry, uh, the, the numbers yesterday in the US are really quite impressive. They're mm. gradually stepping up the number of flights. Uh, they are having um, load factors, so the percentage of seats occupied, anything from kind of two thirds to three quarters. Now, that might be uncomfortable if you were looking forward to a bit of social distancing, <laughs> but it means that things are coming back there. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Basically, the travel industry is desperate to get going. Yes, with new protocols, everything from having your temperature taken to yeah. wearing a mask through your trip. But at the moment, um, both in the... Uh, UK and looking transatlantic, uh, it's impossible to know what the situation is at this stage. And it's desperately upsetting for people, particularly if they've got strong family reasons to travel. Well, that's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, is that considered to be a reason to go rather than, you know, if if you're told, you know, only essential travel or something, which I know is not necessarily the case. If you've got to go and see, say, an elderly relative or a sick relative or you've got to go for some family reason to another country, would that be considered essential travel? Uh, Yeah, it's certainly would do yes um but actually a really good route to get these permissions needed Mm. is actually to talk to your mp right because they generally are very good they've also got all kinds of channels with the foreign office so the foreign office can talk to the american government and that gradually things are made easier Mm. and um i think yeah i would i would in in cases of, of distress of urgent family issues then mm. that's certainly the route i recommend okay simon as ever thank you very much indeed simon called a travel editor for the independent giving us some very wise words on what you can do uh, and what you can't do at the moment and of course he's right to say that the big problem is we're not really sure what government policy is on quarantine uh, we're not really sure what other government's policies are on travel because it seems to be changing pretty much week to week um, what we do know for example is that in spain uh, the quarantine laws will stop in in July. So if you wanted to go this month, you have to be quarantined if you go there. Uh, but unfortunately, if you go um, uh, later on and you go in July, actually, that will be better because you won't have to go to quarantine uh, when you get there. However, you might have to go into quarantine when you come back the other way. It's not very clear. So the problem at the moment still uh, is it's very difficult to, to predict uh, if you have got a holiday booked and if it is going ahead and you do want to cancel it, then you will have to pay some kind of penalty. But if the holiday itself is cancelled by the company, then you will be able to get a refund. It's pretty much that simple. But also, I guess you would say it's not really a very good time to book a holiday at the moment. If you've got plans to try and go somewhere, uh, you might want to put them on hold for a bit longer. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Shocking scenes from the United States of America over the past few days, reminding many people who are old enough to remember uh, the race riots of the 1960s, uh, some of the riots that happened after Rodney King's uh, problems and and beating by the police in Los Angeles back in the early 90s. You know, there's always been a problem with the American police forces and the shooting of unarmed black men, usually unarmed young black men. But let's talk to Jane Mulcairns now, who's our correspondent over in New York. Uh, She's uh, been there for a while. Jane, a very good uh, morning to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Good morning, Mike. How are things there? Because I was hearing from uh, my sister, who who has a place in New York, that there was problems in Brooklyn, I think, the other night. Um, there's obviously problems in almost every American city. Um, what's the latest situation? Yes, um, I, it's pretty citywide in New York, to be honest oh, with you. Oh, is it? Um, well, uh, I mean, as you say, I mean, I'm in Brooklyn, um, there, are, there were cars burning half a mile down the street. Last night, there were 23 police fans at the end of my street. Wow. Um, over the bridge in Manhattan, um, I mean, there were, pro- there were peaceful protests during the day in various spots across the city, from Washington Square Park to Union Square. Um, but then, uh, even before our curfew started, as uh, things got dark, the looting started again. Um, there were protests then later on uh, at the Barclays Centre in Brooklyn. There've been the, some of the biggest problems were in Flatbush. So, yeah, it's it spread across Manhattan and Brooklyn. Um, and uh, as I said, there was our first night of of a curfew last night, which was an attempt by uh, by the mayor Bill De Blasio and the governor Andrew Cuomo to try and bring things. Um, due to something more of a peaceful conclusion uh, to the day's protest than had been happening over the weekend. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. Um, and the looting started even before the curfew started. Um, so about an hour later, we, it was decided that our curfew will start at 8pm tonight. Um, so unfortunately, things are not becoming any quieter yet. No. Um, and is, it, is it frightening? Is it a frightening situation? I mean, are you scared? Um, Personally, um, in my sitting, talking to you from my apartment in Brooklyn this morning, I'm not afraid for myself, but I, that, I speak from a place of enormous privilege. Yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a white person um, with a lot of resources, um, and I can choose to observe and, and, and be part of those protests if I want to, um, but I'm probably one of the people who... Um, is less vulnerable to the sort of police brutality that you know that this is that sparked this. Um, I did join. I did. I did go along to observe yesterday. Mm. Um, I'd been. I'd been very reluctant to join. Well, I was torn really, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I, I very much wanted to join some protests over the weekend, some peaceful protests. But but we are still in lockdown. I mean, we're, right. like, our reopening hasn't started yet. So the the fear of covid spread is also huge here um you know we've been the hardest hit place in the world so far and then you put mass gatherings into Mm. that and um it it was a difficult decision and so i chose not to participate in some of the protests over the weekend and then of course things turned sour after Mm. dark and it became apparent that it wouldn't necessarily be safe but yesterday i thought the way to try and um at least take the temperature of what's happening i took my bike and i cycled uh through manhattan and joined the tail end of the protests um and i have to say um that they were peaceful this was around 7 p.m yeah. they were yeah. peaceful the energy wasn't totally peaceful they weren't violent but, but the energy was tense and that was partly mike because i've never seen such a show of strength in the u.s from police officers ever i, I mean washington square park was surrounded by riot police there mm. were lines and lines of police on bicycles i actually the only thing it reminds me of is the time that i was kettled in oxford circus yeah. in 2001 yeah. um during the when the police held us all in oxford circus because of the mayday riots and i was just reporting on that obviously mm. i'm not a mayday rioter um but it but the but the show of strength by the police um while understandable to try and you know to to, to try and have enough people to bring the city um to a bit a bit more peace after dark and and protect buildings and and people um unfortunately it felt like a standoff well it's the difficulty is uh, i suppose they have to be so careful how they deal with it don't they because in different Mm -hmm. cities that i've been watching obviously only on tv um the response tends to differ some people are firing rubber bullets others are firing tear gas others are just standing and not actually doing anything 
Others might have taking a knee and also marching with protesters when they've been invited to. There is, you know, I have to say that there are some very moving scenes of police officers joining uh, peaceful protesters too. Um, but as you say, then there are other scenes of um, what looks like unprovoked um, assaults on the part of police officers, as yeah. you say, tear gas, rubber bullets. This is, I mean, this country has a culture, as you know, you've lived here, but it has a culture of very heavily militarised police force. Mm. I mean, the police are trained to use firearms from the very beginning of their training. Yeah. It's a very different police culture to that in the UK. Um, and then when you have an administration which tries to up the ante on that um, and threatens even more of a militaristic response, I mean, that, that's not going to quell protesters. That's only going to incite more anger um, and, uh, you know, more violence in response. Sure. I mean, we, we watched um, the brother, I think, of, of the of the dead man mm. yesterday speaking in, in Minnesota, quite emotionally, obviously, as you would expect yeah. it to be. Uh, but he was kind of urging uh, for people to be sensible because I don't think anyone really wants it to escalate. No, absolutely. And I, but I think this is part of the problem is that the peaceful protests of which, you know, I would say there is a large majority of the people who are protesting peacefully against very uh, valid, righteous reasons of, of police brutality. I mean, there are a thousand people die here every year yeah. um, unlawfully at the hands of police, disproportionately um, from the African-American community. These are, these are righteous grievances. But unfortunately, some of the protests have been hijacked by groups who have... Uh, an agenda in yeah. in starting some sort of a race war, um, and and it's very difficult to then disentangle who is who um, in those kind of situations. Right. Um, but as as you say, you know, people, the majority of people here want to move beyond this. But mm. you know, Martin Luther King, noted pacifist. I mean, he said that a riot is the language of the unheard, and I think that's what you are hearing here. It's the sound of a marginalised community. You feel that no matter how many of its people die at the hands of police officers um, and now COVID and poverty and inequality, because this is all part of it. You've had three months of uh, lockdown mm. and of 105,000 people dying here of COVID mm. disproportionately in the black community, um, disproportionately numbers of black um, and Hispanic people are those working frontline, risking their lives. You know, 41 million new unemployed people disproportionately from that community too. I mean, this is all, this is the voice of people who feel like they're never heard no yeah. matter what happens. Of course, and, and America has, as I tell people, uh, without kind of uh, fear or favour, America has always had a race problem. You know, very unlike Britain and very much unlike Europe. It's always had this kind of, you know, ghettoisation of, of, of the black community. Yeah. People no, don't live together. I mean, there are entire towns um, in places like Connecticut, which are just entirely yeah. white. You know, there are no there are no black people living there. The black people tend to live in the inner cities. You know, they tend to live in the poorer areas, uh, in the public housing projects. You know, and you know, yes, there is a way out, and yes, there is a middle class black population, but it's not very big, and the social mobility is very small. Yeah, and actually, the black middle class has 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 been squashed and reduced um, over the course of the last century, and obviously too. Yeah, um, no, you're right. I mean, this is one of the things that I is difficult to try and explain to people um, that, that the U.S. might be more diverse and might have larger groups of, uh, of ethnic minority populations, but it's much less integrated mm. than the U.K. Yeah. Well, certainly than, than, the U, than the U.K. that I grew up in. I mean, I haven't lived there for 10 years, but, yeah. but, but, uh, but it is much more ghettoized, as you say. Um, and that was really shocking to me when I moved here. I was very surprised by the ghettoization. But, but this, I mean, this comes back to, you know, Unfortunately, this country is built upon the marginalisation of of the black community. I mean, it's it. The White House was built by slaves. Um, I mean, part part of what's allowed the one percent in this country to be as successful as it has is the marginalisation of the least advantaged people. And you know, even the policing of of the black community has very very strong links to slavery um uh, it's a very complex problem it um, really is i'm looking at um something called um 
Blackout Tuesday. I don't know if you know about this. It's uh, mm, hashtag yeah. going uh, around. A lot of people in Hollywood are doing it on behalf of George Floyd. The show must be paused. Columbia Records putting out a thing saying that basically they want uh, to have a day to reflect. Basically, uh, Blackout Tuesday will be a day where they don't play any music. Uh, it says perhaps with the music off, we can truly listen. Um, it's clearly a yeah. massive moment, this, for American culture, isn't it? It's a huge moment for American culture. It really is. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I've lived here for a decade, so I've been here for Ferguson and Baltimore and the riots that happened under Obama. You know, so let's not pretend. I mean, I have much to say about Trump's reaction to this, um, but let's not pretend that that it was a perfect society under Obama. I mean, no. his presence, you know, his policing was not perfect. Um, but um, but this does feel like an enormous moment and. As you said, you know, before we before I came on out here, it, it does feel like the tipping point of a civil war, um, and unfortunately, it seems as if the president is inciting a civil war even further. Um, I mean, not to invoke Obama here constantly because it feels a little cliche, but he did weigh in yesterday praising the peaceful protesters and offering advice on how to turn this moment and this action into a way of addressing structural racism. Yeah. Um, and and that contrast is very stark. Um, you know, the idea of have, having a leader who makes people feel listened to, but who also talks about the fact that, that we do need structural change. And I, I do think that, you know, we think of the civil rights movement as the 1960s as being everyone holding hands and singing come by or as they walk across bridges. It was not always like that. Um, there were violent clashes. And I think sometimes it does take um, some extreme situations for things to move forward. And I'm not in any way condoning the looting and the, and the kind of egregious hijacking of this situation. But um, I think peaceful protests hasn't got the African-American community as far as it needs to go. And in fact, things have slipped backwards in the past. But it's pretty much always been the same. I mean, I was there when Rodney, when Rodney King was, was beaten Mm. up by the, by the police in California, you know, it's, it's, it's an endemic problem that's been going on really ever since anybody can remember, you know? Um, And the Mm. fact that Barack Obama went into the white house, didn't change anything, tells you that it's a massive problem, which, which is not going to be solved just by electing um, a few African-American people, you know? So whether or not it ever changes, I don't know. I mean, I watched a very interesting video yesterday uh, of two, um, white protesters who were, I think, Antifa linked, uh, who, mm. were, who were who were basically spray painting "Black Lives Matter" uh, on a Starbucks shop, and and a, and, a, and a black woman was saying to them, "Please stop doing that. Please that's, stop. You know, that's yeah. not what we want you to do." So there's a lot of agile provocateurs out there as well. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it, it's extraordinary. As I was cycling around yesterday. You know, keeping a safe distance with my mask on. But, but yes, I mean, there's an awful lot of spray painting of FPP, which you can imagine what that stands for. I won't say it on the radio. But, um, mm. and, and Black Lives Matter. But, but, yes, I mean, I've seen, I've seen numerous videos of, that, of, of vandalism and looting and spray painting being committed by um, people who appear to have um, not, a, not the same political motive as the people organising the protests here. Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely some, some factions in there which, um, you know, the real protesters are seeking to really distance themselves from. Um, it's, yeah, it, 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 it's an ongoing problem, and I, and I fear that we're going to see some more nights of it before this is over yeah. this week. Um, yeah, and it you can only... help, It doesn't help when you have a president who then threatens the military as a, as a way to deal with this. I mean, I, I think that waking up, this morning, you know, I've had so many messages from friends all over the world just saying, you know, how they felt to watch that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And- Mind you, the history of America, of course, is that many other presidents have actually sent the military in without telling anyone and just doing it, just sending <laughs> the National Guard in to shoot people. You know, yeah. it has happened before. Um, it's more difficult to do now with the, with the advent of iPhones, I think. Um, you know, I... I, 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 I Things like Blackout Tuesday, I do think are, you know, it's a great idea to, to bring and highlight attention to all of this. Um, but I do feel like a social media reaction is just not enough for, for anything like this. I mean, I think social media has, helped, has been helpful in amplifying what's going on um, in cities across America. Um, but we need, we need wholesale structural political change and people need to be donating to organisations and groups that are going to help raise up marginalised voices. I mean, I think... Um, this well, is, as you say, it's enormous. It's it's going to take 
years and decades and generations. But I hope that this will be the beginning of something big changing. I mean, November is going to be hand over fist a very bloody election, um, no matter what happens in the next few days. But I think this is only up the ante. Yes, I mean, I think in many ways this will probably ensure that Donald Trump gets a second term. But, Jane, thank you very much indeed. Jane Mulcairn's there uh, talking to us from New York, uh, where not just uh, Brooklyn uh, is uh, on fire, but certainly Manhattan would appear to be as well. Uh, And there's going to be more protests, no doubt, uh, this evening. There'll be more protests the rest of the week. Uh, What I'm saying uh, is that there shouldn't be any protests going on here in this country uh, as long uh, as we don't have anything to say uh, about what goes on here. You know, we've got the pandemic uh, going on. We're in the middle uh, of a place where we can't supposedly meet with more than six other people. Uh, and yet the police in this city of London uh, and the mayor in this city of London thinks it's OK uh, for people to demonstrate by the thousands. Um, they're going to be in Hyde Park, I think, tomorrow. Uh, but they won't be distancing themselves from one another and they will be potentially causing a massive civil problem the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio welcome back to the independent republic of mike graham it is that time of course just after 12 30 where we talk about uh, our homeschooling section so if you haven't done it already uh, get your children around the radio uh, get them around the tv if you're watching on youtube uh, get them around the alexa the dab whatever it is you are watching uh, the smart uh, speaker uh, because of course uh, it is time to learn something we're going to talk now to andrew white presenter of the tv series walks around britain uh, which as i said earlier pretty much does what it says on the tin. Andrew, very good afternoon to you. Hello, Mike. How are you? Very well indeed. How nice of you to join us and and, uh, at a very prescient time, I think, because we are now kind of allowed to go a bit further afield than we once were uh, all those weeks ago. Uh, Although I was telling uh, somebody earlier today, you can't actually walk from England to Scotland or from Scotland to England or from Wales to England, but you can walk all around England and all around Scotland and all around Wales. Yeah, England is is probably the most easiest place to to be walking around at the moment. You can go anywhere you can. You can can get to 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 drive and providing you can get back to your home within the day. That's fine. Uh, I think in in Scotland, it's still sort of they're still sort of saying, please sort of keep it to about five miles away from your home. And I think it's pretty much similar in Wales at the moment as well. But again, it is that border issue between the between the, the, the devolved nations and, and England, really. It's, yes. it's, you can't cross from one to the other at the moment. <laughs> no, quite. Uh, but a lot of people are out walking now probably more than they've ever been because, you know, for those who were sort of stuck inside their homes, one of the things they were allowed to do was to go and have a little bit of exercise. I mean, I live in a very quiet street uh, in sort of southeast London, which at the weekends now is absolutely rammed with people walking up and down the river for exercise. So, so I guess you could say it's a sort of a growing industry. It is, yes. And, and sort of walking and cycling were obviously the things that were allowed to be done when we were in lockdown. And I think hopefully those people who were probably doing a lot of other things like football or, or you know, sport or, or going to the gym, maybe they've discovered a, a, a revitalised love of walking and cycling. And maybe that might hopefully carry on. It'd be great to see this is a legacy, really, from, from getting out of, of, of this situation. Yes. And what would you say... Um is the best sort of scenario for walking in terms of, you know, because obviously, ideally, you're not walking anywhere near roads if you're going for a nice long walk and you're walking sort of in places where there is a public right of way. Um, is that hard to find or is that relatively easy to find? No, it's, it's relatively easy to find. I mean, if you, one of the easiest place, things to do is, is, is one of these. You remember these? OS Maps? Oh, yes. If you get get some of those, you can go work. Uh, when, when the library's open again, you can get probably your local maps from your local library. Yeah. You can also get them online, obviously, and, and get them sent to you. But they, they also have a uh, an app now which you can download and get on onto there, and that tells you all about where the open spaces are, where all the green spaces in your local area are. Right. So that's fairly good. Uh, and, and also lots of websites around as well. Uh, if you, Your local council website probably has... a, a quite a lot of walks that you can download for free as well right and do they sort of give you walks to do as per what level of walking you're at as it were you know like here's one that's only two miles but here's another one that's say 10 mm. yes certainly yeah and, and of course there's also there's various magazines around that you can buy as well that have got different different levels of, 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 of walks around but i mean you know every, i think lots of people did think that walking was just about going mountains and mink cakes 
you know, and going to the Lake District and, and places like that. Mm. Well, you can. I mean, that's brilliant. That's great. But it's not for everybody. The mountains aren't for everybody. And, and as you mentioned about canal towpaths, mm. I mean, they're a fantastic uh, resource. You know, to be able to go and walk along a canal is, is an amazing thing, really. And also lots of old railway lines. There's lots of those around the country that you can find. And uh, they're great places to go walking. Mm. And some of these are actually recognised trails, which you can see. We've got uh, 15 national trails in England and Wales, and there's many of the great trails in, in Scotland as well that uh, are long-distance paths, which mm. you can go and do little short walks on uh, so that they're easy to find. But there's also lots of uh, non non-national uh, trail maps uh, routes that you can go to mm. as well so there's things like the coast to coast many people will have heard of the coast to coast in yeah. the north of england right uh, which was devised by alfred wainwright uh, but that's not a national trail but it's a long distance trail so you can do that if you've got a lot of time mm. not at the moment because you can't stay away from your house but <laughs> eventually yes. we'll be able to do those things sort of things again well quite and if lots of people listening to this with their children um are there sort of children friendly walks that you can do because obviously some children when they're younger can't go quite as far as as, as their parents perhaps is there is there a sort of section of of, of, of walks for people who want to do it with their families Certainly, yes. I mean, the, the great thing about walking with your family is that you can sort of, with a bit of research, you can find a great woods. Uh, woods are great things to go around with, with kids because you can find things, you can discover things. Also, there's uh, things that you could sort of tie into uh, walking where film sets were, you know, where, where TV programs and oh, that, yeah. they may recognise and film sets, you know, so you can find those online too, which are quite, that's really nice to be able to go to the place that they've seen in a, in a TV programme or yes. on, on a film. Right. So that's very good too. But it's also, I think, you know, sometimes kids don't really want to go walking. Mm. But if you said, how about, how about going for a, a, a challenge or a discovery mm. or let's see how many how many uh, oak trees we can find, yeah. you know, in this wood. Right. Things like that really fire the enthusiasm. And also I sort of uh, tell people, you know, we've, we've probably all got a, a drawer in our kitchen or in our, our living room that's got a load of old mobile phones in it. We, mm. we have, there's more mobile phones in this country than there are people. <laughs> so if we dig one of those out, charge them up, yeah. and you'd be able to, you know, put a SIM, put a, don't put a SIM card in, but put an, an SD card in it and give them to the, as, as, a, as, a, as a camera mm. that they can just, you know, it doesn't really matter whether it's their phone or not, they can just get rid of it and uh, and, and you can download those things, print them out as a collage, yes. do things like that. It's It's... You know, stuff like that really makes a difference rather yes. than just going for a walk, which sounds a bit boring. Yes. Well, I know exactly what you mean. And what about your own uh, sort of taste? Do you have a favourite place where you like to walk, a favourite part of Britain? Uh, well, as a Yorkshireman, I would say Yorkshire. Uh, yeah. I, I do really enjoy walking in my home county. Uh, I, you know, places like uh, Ribblehead Viaduct around the, the Yorkshire Three Peaks, places like that, mm. and, uh, you know, sort of the, the Flamberhead off the coast there but one of my favorite places is is the isle of man is to go walking on the isle of man i've never been to the isle of man i should probably go that's a fantastic place yeah yeah it's a fantastic place and uh you know it's one of the great places that you can go walking like from the coast Mm. up a mountain uh go through a forest and that and it's all on a you know very very small kind of compact area so it's a for a walker it's it's a it's a brilliant place to go yeah, it sounds fantastic. And what about I, your... love, I love walking anywhere. Yeah. What about your, your show, Walks Around Britain? Well, have we got a new series coming out or anything soon, or what's going on? Yeah, we've, we're filming uh, season six at the moment, which is uh, deep in, in production. Yeah. And obviously we've got to... It's a, it's a challenge at the moment to be doing things with, with social distancing. It must but be, yeah. new tricks. We're learning new tricks and we're doing new things. And uh, but, but the great thing about going out outside is that this is where we're supposed to be less likely to, to have any problems yes. with, with the vi- with the virus. So mm. keeping outside is the best thing, really, I think. Right. Uh, so, yeah, season six is, is on its way soon. OK, brilliant. Well, Andrew, thank you very much indeed for, for telling us all about that. Andrew White there, uh, presenter of the TV series Walks Around Britain, uh, working on a new series, which will be out soon. Uh, and, of course, walking is probably the cheapest and easiest way uh, to do anything that you want to do. You don't necessarily need uh, anything particular in terms of equipment. You need a decent pair of shoes. Uh, you need something comfortable. Um, and you just need to just walk. It's a great... 
great thing uh, for lots of people to do. And if you've got kids and you want to try and get them interested and get them out of the house, uh, which I know is a bit of a challenge at times at the moment, uh, by all means, uh, play some tricks, uh, you know, get some things that they could record stuff on. Tell them you're going to go looking for wildlife, which you can do, of course. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.